This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Enough to um, some people are giving reasons. I'm for sure not great enough to give a reason, but there is um, a point that I would like to make before we start to share tonight. So there was a question to, uh, this week in Parsha's Masai, the last Parsha of um, of the Book of Bamidbar. What what a better what a better time to say when we're going through um, such hard times at the end this week when you go to shul so first of all it's of um, Av and um, at the end of the parasha everyone's going to say that we have to strengthen ourselves but I want to go back a few weeks to Pasha's Balak now Balak was a very very big Russia you all know that he was as good as Moshe Rabbeinu was that's how bad Balak no, yeah, you want to get up? You do want to get up? Okay. Thank you. You have to help her, and, you have, and she has to say, Ain Oed Movado, you should have to help her up. Let's sing Ain Oed Movado, she can't get up. Under her arm, under her arm. There you go. Ain Oed Movado, that gets you up every time. Shkoyach. You're good, you're up. Thanks. By the way, the biggest chizik of my shear is Nancy. Because she struggles to get up. And how many of us, we just get up, we don't even think about it. Every time she gets up, she struggles, and she gets up, and she sits down, and she gets up. You're a big chizik, Nancy. Nechama. Oh, you're the best. Okay. Anyway, I really get her here every week because she just compliments me all the time. Anyway, so so Bilam was a huge Russia. He was as as holy as Moshe Rabbeinu was. That's what a low life Bilam was, and. He was supposed to curse us. Instead of cursing us, every time he went to curse us, he ended up coming out of his mouth a blessing. Well, what most of us don't know is that all those blessings that came out of his mouth in Pasha's Balak ended up becoming curses. Even though they came out of his mouth as a bracha, they ended up becoming curses, except for one. And that one, all of us say, when we go to shul every morning, the first thing we say... So the question that everybody asks is that the first thing when you come into shul in the morning should be a prayer from that was written, that was said by the biggest Russia in the world, by Bilam? And why was this the only bracha that stayed a bracha? And the answer, I think, has a lot to do and a very big lesson for us, especially for what we're going through right now. And the answer is as follows. What did Bilam say? Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov. How great, how good, how beautiful are your tents, Yaakov. Mishkinasecha Yisrael, your resting place Yisrael. It didn't make a difference what kind of Jew was in that tent. To Bilam Harasha, who wanted to destroy Klai Yisrael, it didn't matter whether you were Dati, Chiloni, learning in Kolel, Svartic, Ashkenazic, Persian, Bukharian, didn't matter where you came from, didn't matter, there was no difference to Bilam when it came to a Jew. A Jew is a Jew, and he must be destroyed. So when Bilam looked at Klal Yisrael, and we were all at that point, Ba'achdus, because it says that the, the tents didn't look at each other. They were shifted over a little bit. So nobody was looking into the other person. Oh, look at her car. 
Look at her dress. Look at her house. Look at her husband. Look what she has. Look what I have. So specifically the tents, we're not looking at each other. They were like this, right? So he said, wow, look at this nation. That can never turn into a curse. Achdus, Klai Yisrael, getting along with each other, being, doesn't matter what you are, but you're a Jew, that can never turn into a curse. So, the Matobu Lechi Yaakov, that this guy, this Russia, said to curse us, at the end of the day, could never turn into a curse, because to him, a Jew is a Jew. And that is why we say this prayer, the first thing we do when we come into Shul. In fact, Zayah says that, before you dive in the morning, you're supposed to say, that I accept today before I pray to you, Hashem, that I accept on me the, the mitzvah of loving every Jew like I love myself. So the opening prayer of a Jew in the morning before he dives to Hashem is his acceptance of every single Jew. And that's why, and, and, and you see now in the world, the hatred in France and all the other places, the hatred in, in Montreal, the hatred that the Goyim have for us, I promise you that the Hamas, Yemach Shemam V'Zichram, the Hamas in Gaza does not only shoot at religious Jews and does not only shoot at irreligious Jews and they don't give you keep Shabbos and they don't keep Shabbos. They don't give you wearing a yarmulke if you're not wearing a yarmulke. They couldn't kill us. You're an Israeli, you're a Jew, we're going to kill you. So if, when it comes to hating Jews, it doesn't make a difference if you're religious or not or your background. So when it comes to loving Jews, when it comes to us loving our brothers, it also should not make a difference what your background is. And every time that the Jewish nation begins to splinter, Religious, not religious, this guy's in yeshiva, kailil, army, all this other stuff. And we begin to segregate, and we begin to separate. Hashem teaches us that to the rest of the world, you're one. So how come to yourselves you're not one? So I'm going to remind you that to the rest of the world, you're one. And they don't really care, just like Hitler, Yomach the six million Jews did not care at all if you're religious or if you're not religious didn't make a difference. There's a very famous story. I said it a few years ago. It, I remember when I heard, when I read it somewhere, and I was like, I was so moved. It's a very famous story. There was a town, I don't know, I think it was in Poland, and it was a Jewish, one of these Jewish statels, and um, there was one guy in town, in those days, people didn't go off the derech that much. There was one guy in town that was Mechalel Shabbos B'Fahesi in front of everybody. He ate Chazer. He was like, an atheist, he was anti all the from Jews, and he was he was from a from family. And of course, when they gathered everyone and put them in the cattle cars, he was a Jew. They took him too. It's a story in one of these Holocaust books. And so he was in the he was in the one of these camps, maybe in Auschwitz. I'm not sure. And one of the head commandants, one of the head Gestapo guys, was a person from that town. With a, with a German, with a, with a guy from that town. And he knew this guy. And he knew that this guy, right, everyone in the town hated him because he ate 
Chazer, and it was Machal Shabbos, and he knew him. So one day at lineup, one day at lineup, they um, lined everybody up, and this German, or this whatever, this Nazi, called this, this, uh, this prisoner out in front of everybody, and he had a, pe- and they were all starving, he had a big piece of Chazer, big piece of pig. And he said to this Jew, here, eat this in front of all your friends. I know you're a tray for Jew. You, you don't keep the rules. So eat this in front of everybody. He said, no, I'm not going to. He said, what do you mean you're not going to? You, you ate this in your hometown. If you don't eat this, I'm going to shoot you. He said, no, I'm not eating it. So he said, what do you mean you're not eating it? You always eat this. So now you're doing this just to make me look bad. I'm telling you right now, if you don't eat it, I'm going to shoot you. And he looks at this German and he says, I will never eat it. When I was eating it in the town, it was something I was doing. But now we're a group of Jews. And we're all together. And we're all brothers. And as one, I will not do this. And he shot him. He shot him in front of everybody. And the person who wrote it was there, and he said, I just want to show you the soul of a Jew. Here he was. He did that in town. He used to do this. People hated him for it. But when he was amongst his brothers, and they wanted to single out the Jew amongst his brothers, that you're not one of them. In other words, they're not going to eat Chazer, but you're not one of them. So you eat Chazer. No. No, I'm still one of them. If you're going to put me on that kind of point, no, I am still one of them. This is the beauty of the Jewish nation. This is what Bilam saw when he said, So there's no way that that bracha could ever turn into a curse. I think very, very much in the situation that we're going through right now, that it's very important that Hashem sees that we don't need Hamas to show us, that, and the world to show us that a Jew is a Jew. We know that a Jew is a Jew. And that we love and are willing to take care of any Jew. And it's interesting, because in Pasha's Matos, which was last week, by the way, just fascinating, in Pasha's Matos in the Haftorah, last week's Haftorah, the Iron Dome is mentioned. Do you believe that? The Iron Dome is mentioned in the Haftorah of last week's Pasha. Where is it mentioned? Somebody came up to me by, by and surely was all excited when they were reading the, when they were reading the, um, they were reading the Haftarah for Matos. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, he says, Hashem says, from the north will come the bad. Because I have called them all. This is, of course, the three, the three Haftarahs that we have in the three weeks are, are, are Haftarahs of gloom. And he says, Rani hinine prasik yudches. Rani hinine nisaticha hayoyim li'ir mibtzah. Ula Amud Barzel. Amud Barzel is an iron dome. An iron, like an iron, that's what it means, right. An Amud Barzel. So it was in last week's Haftarah. Just very, very fascinating. Everything, everything was a little bit we'll talk about tonight. I spent two hours with an agnis, uh, agnostic Jew today. Tell you a little bit what happened. What? Of, um, of iron, it's the word is barzel, right? And, uh, 
Right. Well, the next the next thing it talks about copper, but it, it's an iron. It talks, it's an iron dome. It's, it happens to be everything's in the Torah. But when we go to last week's parsha, we go to war, and it says, Hashem tells this last week's parsha. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, take revenge because the Minyanim caused twenty four thousand men to die because they they brought znus to Klai Yisrael. So Hashem says, take revenge. And what happens? The next passage it says, Moshe Instead of Moshe taking revenge, he tells Klai Yisrael to take revenge, right? And it says, Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata, every tribe should send a thousand men, Lechol Matas Yisrael, that's 12,000 men, Tishachul Atzava, you should send to the army. So number one, why did Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to do this. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu send Klai Yisrael? So this has to do with Akar Satov. And the answer is, because since when Moshe Rabbeinu says Chazal, when Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from Egypt, from Paro who was trying to kill him, he went to Midjon, and he stayed by Yisro, and he ended up marrying a Midjonite, right, Zipporah. So he said, how could I have been, I was protected by Midjon from Mitzrayim, I cannot go now, even though these guys deserve what they did to us, I cannot go to war against the nation that once harped, that once protected me. So he said, I can't go. At the same time, at the same time, Hashem says that, um, take revenge, and after you take revenge, you go to war to the Midyanim, you will die. Right? You will die. So you would think, Moshe Ben is going to take his time. He doesn't want to die, right? No, he went right away. Now, why did he have to die after they fought the Minyanim? Why did Moshe Ben have to die? Hashem said, the minute you fight the Minyanim and the war is over, you're going to die. Why did Moshe Ben have to die? Because we speak about this a lot. Everything in this world has to be balanced. So whatever is good in this world, there is bad in this world. We have internet and all this technology that takes us down to very bad places. At the same, in the same generation that you have all that, you have art scroll. That took Gemara and Chumash and Medrash and Halacha and, and felt, and not only art scroll, but Feldheim and all these different things where today a person can open up a book who they, what they would never understand and everything's translated into English. So you have the, you have the internet that has all the bad stuff. On the other hand, you can learn Torah like you can never learn before. You can put it in your iPad and your ear, right? So everything is always balanced. The greatest Kedusha in the world was Avram Avinu. Was Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean. The greatest Tumah in the world was Bilam. So, once Moshe Rabbeinu went to war with Midian, and in the war of Midian, Bilam was killed, the balance is off. So now you have Kedusha in the world, but you don't have Tumah on the level of that Kedusha. So Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that the minute you kill Bilam, you have to die. Because you can't have you as Kedusha without that Tumor. If we kill Moshe, if Moshe Rabbeinu dies, then there's Bilam in the world with all that Tumor, so both of them had to die at pretty much the same time. But even though Moshe Rabbeinu knew that, because there has to be a balance all the time, even though Moshe Rabbeinu knew that, and that's one of the things tomorrow morning I'm speaking up in the mountains, that when a person goes through a hard time, there's a, there's a, an extra strength that when a person has a tragedy there's an extra strength like a backpack that that person gets from Shemayim 
you know, it's a saying, but it's a lot more than a saying, that a person never gets something that they can't handle. Sometimes they get something that they can't handle as they are. But because Bochu gives, I'll talk a little bit about tonight, because Bochu gives us that extra strength because it cannot be not balanced. Not only in the world, in you. He can't just give you bad. Whatever bad you have to deal with, he has to give you good on the same level. It has to be balanced. That's the way he created the world. Toy vera, that's the Eitz That's what happened with the Eitz Before the Eitz there was no balance. It was all good. There was no balance. But once we ate from the Eitz there's a perfect balance. So whatever you're dealing with in bad, he's going to give you the strength on the other side in good. It may not be at the same time. You may have bad years and you're going to have good years. But in the end of life, it will be totally, it will be totally balanced. So here, Akash Baruch Hu said, you're going to go to war, you're going to kill Bilam, you're going to die. If you kill Bilam, you got to go because you can't have that much Kedusha in the world without that much Tumor. But even though Moshe Rabbeinu knew that, he was going to avenge what happened to Klai Yisrael. So he went to war anyway. It was the first time that the Jewish nation admitted that Moshe Rabbeinu was there for them and not for himself. This was the proof all the time in the Torah. They kept saying, Moshe Rabbeinu, oh, you took us out of its trying for yourself. You kept the money from the Mishkan. Here was the first time that they realized that he's willing to die for us. He's not pushing off the war. And that brought him to the realization that all those other times, he was really for them. But the Balaturim says something fascinating. And the Balaturim says that when God said, take a thousand from each tribe, if you look at the Pasuk, it starts off, Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata. And the last word is, Tishlechul you should send them to the army. So the first letter, and this is so important, the rabbi said this last week, we're in the middle of this war, right? This is talking about war. This is, Pashas Matos is talking about where the Jews went into war and how they went into war. And the Torah, and, and the Balaturim says that the first letter in the Pasuk, Elef Lamata, send a thousand in, is an Aleph. The last letter of the same Pasuk, Latzava, is an Aleph. That the only way the Jews can go into war and be successful is if they go in as one. And if you take the second letter of the first word and the, and this, I'm sorry, the second letter from the, the second letter of the first word from the end of the word, LF is Aleph Lamed Pei. So Pei back is the second word, the second letter is a Lamed. If you go to the last word of the Pasuk, Latzava, the second word from the end of the, of the word is a Beis, which spells Lave. So the first letter spells Aleph. And the second letter spells Lev, says the Balaturim. It has to be Echad Belev. If the Jewish nation is going to be successful in war, they have to have one heart. Everybody has to get along. Everyone has to be one. There's no you're this and you're that and you're different and you're from and you're not from. When it comes to war, when it comes to the nations who hate us, the Jews have to be 100% the Achdus. Now, Rashi says that there were 12,000 soldiers. But... The Mepharshim say that there were 24,000. That Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata, why don't they just say Elef Lamata? Every tribe should send a thousand. Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata, it says it twice, means it's 24,000. A thousand to a tribe, a thousand to a tribe. Why do they say twice? So Chazal say that there were really 24,000. A thousand that went to war, and a thousand that prayed for them. So when they went to war, each guy that went to fight had another person standing next to him learning and praying. And right now, I know there's a website where you can pick a soldier on this website and specifically for that soldier you can daven. 
You can pray, or you can learn. Where does that come from? This Pasuk. And not only that, Chazal say, so why do the thousands that are praying and learning, why do they have to go to war? Let them stay in yeshiva. Right? Let the, it's called thunder and lightning. When I give a shit, this is what happens. What can I tell you, right? But, what? Right. So, so that means what I'm saying is true. So, so LF Lamata, LF Lamata, listen to this. Listen to this. So, the question is, why, by the time we get out of here, it'll, be, it'll stop raining, sun will, not the sun will be out, that'll be, that'll be something. But, don't worry about it. So, so, the question is, why weren't these guys in yeshiva? Why are you bringing them, why are you bringing them to the war? The guys who are learning and davening, give them a name, let them stay in yeshiva. No, Elif Lamata, Lamata means they went together to war. It's a very beautiful answer. Because Hashem wanted that the guy who's fighting, right, will have a Karas Hatov, should be in my book, that will, he will have a Karas Hatov for the guy who's davening and, and praying for him. If I have a guy that's praying for me somewhere, I don't know who he is, okay, thank you very much. But if the guy's standing right next to me, right, and the bombs are falling, and he's davening for me, so when I go into war, I feel Hakos HaTov to him. And the other guy, who's davening and praying, if he's in yeshiva, he doesn't have Hakos HaTov for the soldier, who's actually fighting. So he had to be there to have Hakos HaTov for the guy who's fighting for him. The guy who's fighting has to see the guy who's praying for him. And, of course, when they went to war here, they totally wiped out Mejan, because they had that Echa Belev, and they had that, they were, they were one. So it, it's not... You know, we don't believe in randomness. That's not Ju- Judaism, right? We believe in Hashkacha Pratis, that Hashem is on everything. So, it's just, when we were learning this, this Pasha, this, pasha, this is what's going on right now. This is exactly what's going on right now. So we have an army, there are from people, there are not from people, and it really makes no difference. And everybody's helping each other. And, and Klaistral here in New York, what can we do for them? We can tell, Elif Lamata, Elif Lamata. We can take a person and, and daven for them, and learn for them. I think they even tell them, and uh, there's another website that you can order pizza. You can order pizza and pay for it by credit card, and then they deliver it to the front, to the soldiers. Somebody told, told me that only, only clients would come up with this stuff, right? So I was like, pizza? It's Israel. Why not falafel? Okay, whatever. I don't know, but... Okay. Mikam Chayisrael. Mikam Chayisrael. So this brings us to but we don't need a war. We don't need a war for this. We need to have this actus without the war. We have to stop looking at what people look like and whatever. By a Kurdish Baruch Hu, a Jew is a Jew. By the Goyim, a Jew is a Jew. It doesn't make a difference. The worst Russia in the world. Before I dive into Hashem in the morning, what am I saying? We have a great nation. Look at all of us. We all, we all get along. So that, that's a very, very important point. I think if you want to get something out of this whole thing, you know, sneers and this and that. I, we don't know why the war is happening, but you don't know why tragedy happens. Nobody knows why tragedy happens, but you do know what could come from that tragedy positive. That's up to you. The tragedy is most of the time not up to you, but what you do with that tragedy—that's that's up to all of us. And I, I don't—I really don't want to give away my sheer from. Uh, from tomorrow morning that I'm, that I'm going to be giving, but I, I, I want to talk a little bit, talk to you a little bit about what I'm going to be speaking about. And it happens to be that it came in very handy today because I met a boy who two years ago was sitting in yeshiva and based medrash learning, and today he is agnostic. He does not believe that God exists. He does not believe in Judaism. He doesn't keep Shabbos. He eats trade, whatever it is. And he came to talk to me today, and I spent two hours with him, and Baruch Hashem totally worked on his brain. 
Um, but I want to tell you a little bit, a little part of what I said to him today to prove that there is a God and that the Torah is very real. And I came from such a left field position that he didn't have an answer because he goes to Footsteps, which is an organization to rip out that wants to rip out the, the soul of, of Klai Yisrael, and they have all the atheist answers. But they only have the atheist answers to the rabbis that give those answers. But I gave him such a way out answer, they never gave the answer to that answer because they never thought about that. So he got caught today. And Baruch Hashem, things really moved. And Mitzvah Hashem is coming next week, whatever. I think, I think it was a very big change. But I have to tell you where this, whole, where this came from. So they asked me to talk about tomorrow morning in the mountains about tragedy. Right? Now, you can't really talk about tragedy because everybody, every person who goes through a tragedy... Unless you went through the same tragedy, you can't really talk about it. And no two people go through the same tragedy because even the same tragedy is not the same tragedy because every person is made out of different ingredients. Some people are more sensitive, some people are more emotional, right? Some people are stronger. So nobody can say, I, I can feel what you're going through. I hate that saying. It is the most false saying. It is horrible, horrible and illogical because if I take a pin right now, and it's sensitive, thank you. If I take a pin right now and stick it in my finger, you're all sitting there like, ooh, right? I stick it in my finger. You can feel that I'm in pain because I stuck a needle in my finger. Well, you cannot feel, your finger doesn't hurt. Unless you're really connected to me, right? Your finger does not hurt. By twins, epis, they say, maybe, yes, I don't know. But your finger does not hurt. So you cannot feel my pain. Unless your finger feels a needle going into it, you cannot feel my pain. Now, let's say you all took needles. And we said, okay, everybody... Together, let's stick a needle in our finger. Now you can say, yeah, Rabbi Wallstein, I feel your pain. No. My finger is more sensitive, less sensitive. Right? A woman's finger is probably more sensitive than a boy's finger. And if I do, I do work, I work out, my fingers like have calluses. I might be sticking a needle in my callus and it doesn't hurt me at all. Right? So even if we all stuck needles into our fingers, some people can take pain, some people cannot take pain. Some girls in here will stick a needle into their finger, they will faint. Some will say, Big deal. It's coming out the other side. Ha ha. Right? And everyone's going to be right. Everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to be different. So to tell someone, I feel your pain, nonsense. I feel that you're in pain. Yes. That you can say. I feel bad that you're suffering. Yes. A hundred percent. But that I feel your pain. No. You cannot feel somebody else's pain. So to, to, to get up and talk about tragedy like what? What am I supposed to tell anybody? But I decided that this year, I am going to really sit down and prepare and try to figure out what to say. So I started looking for stories, Holocaust stories, how people deal with the Holocaust, how people deal with death. And I was like, this is not me. I cannot make a speech on this subject. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what? What are you doing? What are you looking at books? Here's the book. Open up a Chomish and see what the, what the Chumash talks about in tragedy. And I have to tell you something. I was totally shocked. Because within the first three or four parshas of the Torah, every tragedy that could happen to a human being happens. And I'm like, the Torah is a book of tragedies. So much bad happened. So let's take a look at it for a minute. God creates the world. 
Adam and Chava. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm doing tomorrow. Let's just take Adam and Chava. Listen to the story. Listen to the story. Adam and Chava are created on the sixth day. They have everything in the world. In one moment, they lose everything. Is that tragic? Can you imagine a person who has everything and they lose all their money and everything in a moment? They lost everything. They were kicked out of Gan Eden. They were looking, they were living in a beautiful neighborhood with whatever they want. Boom! In one second, they were thrown out of Gan Eden. Okay! We can handle that. It's not a good thing, but we can handle that. Okay, they get married. Baruch Hashem. Adam and Chava get married. Very, very beautiful. I, I gave, I talked about this in the mountains two weeks ago that I don't understand what it means exactly, but God braided, I read in the Medrash, God braided Chava's hair. And in each braid, he put the most beautiful jewels that existed in the world. Not Stam. Okay? And he brought them down to the Chuppah. He walked them down to the Chuppah, and they got married. Now listen to this. Want to hear tragedy? Listen to this. They get married Erev Shabbos. He creates Chava, he creates Adam. Right? Could you imagine? Chas v'shom, it should never happen. You should never hear such a story in your life. This Chassan and Kali get married. There's a big wedding, fantastic. The band, the food, the everything. The next night, you're invited to Sheva Brachas. And you're like, just waiting, and you're waiting, and Kal and Chassan don't show up. And you turn to the people next to you, and you're like, what's going on? Where's the Chassan and Kal? Like, they're really sorry. We just found out that in the morning, they separated. That's it. Marriage is over. What? I heard about three months, two months, 12 hours? Done? wasn't even 12 hours, ladies. Erev Shabbos, a couple of hours before Shabbos, they ate from the Eitz Hadas. You know what Rashi and the Mephoshim say? That because she gave him from the Eitz Hadas, Adam separated from Chava for the next 130 years. Now, we've heard of one-year separations, Chas Shalom, six-month separations, three-month separations. These two were separated for 130 years. Years, they were married for one hour. For one hour, and now they're separated for a hundred and thirty years. Tragic. So you have so far lost everything, got got separated. Now, what happens after they get back together? They have two sons. Hashem, Simon Tevel, Mazel right? Kain and Havel. One son. Murders his brother. So now what do we have? You lost everything. Your marriage was separated for 130 years. And guess what? One of your children murdered the other one. No, you want tragedy? You want tragedy? This is the first parish in the Torah. We didn't get anywhere yet. First parish in the Torah. Then what happens? You have... Destruction of the world. The whole world gets destroyed. Then Noah comes out of the table, and I don't want to get into specifics, but his son Cham does a very, very tragic, terrible thing to his father. His father can never have children again, says Rashi. Terrible, terrible thing he does to his father. Then he, his father, we talk about kids and trouble and, and things with their parents. His father curses him. Curses him that you're going to be a slave for the rest of your life. 
We're having a little bit, uh, you know, off the derech kid situation, parent, child situation. He does something crazy and he gets cursed by his father. And we're only in Pasha's Noah. Now along comes Terach. What does he do? He takes his son, Abraham Avinu, and he flips him into a fire. So we have murder of a brother, attempted murder of a child, separation, loss of property, destruction of the world. Now we're only in the second parish in the Torah. Now what happens after Abraham Avinu walks out of this fire? Abraham Avinu's uncle, Sarah Imenu's father, jumps into the fire. Because if Abraham Avinu could do it, he could do it. So he commits suicide. Harun burns to death. Sarah's father died committing suicide. So we have suicide, murder, a child being cursed, the destruction of the world, separation. We didn't even get Pasha's Lechlecha. And as I start writing this shir, I can't get through a Pasha without tragedy. I can't get through the Suel. That's a great story. The Suel tries to murder and poison the Shatchin. That's a pretty cool story. You want a Shidduch for Rivka? Yeah, come to my house. I'll murder you. Right? So he, he tries to poison Eliezer. Sorry, Menu has no children. She's barren. She has no children. Sorry, Menu's Sarah, which is Hagar, right, ends up marrying Avram and having a child. Yeah, great. Yishmael. So Sorry, Menu, the Tzadikistah, the biggest Tzadikistah of the world, goes 90 years without any children. So you have a woman without any children. You have a Yishmael in the world who finally, when Yitzchak shows up, takes him off the derech, and that's why Abraham Avino has to throw out his own child. You know, all these, I listen to all these shiurim, and all these people that get up, and they're like, whatever you do, whatever you do, psychologically, never throw your child out of the house. He always has to be welcome in your house. Well, guess what? Abraham Avinu, sorry, Emmanuel told Abraham Avinu, you have to throw your child out of the house. And Abraham Avinu said, absolutely, I'm not throwing my child out of the house. So they went to the therapist of the time, which was God. And Abraham Avinu asked the therapist at the time, God, what should I do? Should I keep him home? Love? Home? Buy him a TV because he wants one? He wants drugs? Buy him the drugs! Right? Give your kid whatever they want! That's our generation. And Abraham Avinu was leading that way and said, I really don't want to throw you small out. He's my son. And Sari Emenu said, all that psychology is good, but if he's ruining the other kids in the house, you got to get rid of him. And it was a very good machloikist like we have today. Many times I hear this where the parent is, uh, my, the therapist is telling me, you can't throw your child out of the house. But at the same time, all my other kids, I'm losing them too. So what do I do? Sacrifice them all for this love, love relationship? Did you give them whatever you want? And this was a question that didn't start in our generation. Abramavino! And he couldn't answer it. You know what Ramavina was? He said, I don't know. On one side, I don't want to ruin Yitzchak. On the other side, how can I put Yishmol in the desert? He really didn't know. So he went to Hashem. And he said to Hashem, I got, I don't know what to do. And Hashem said, you cannot sacrifice 
one child for another, you don't have that right. You don't have a right to save Yishmael to destroy Yitzchak. That's not your given right. So as long as he's not a machti, the child, and he's not taking the other kids in the house down, and he's not hurting them, and he's not unsafe to them, so then you can keep him in the house. But if he's affecting the other kids, you can't. Hello, this is not Rabbi Wallerstein, this is not therapy. This is the fourth portion of the Torah. And as you go through this Torah, it does not stop. Tough childbirth, Rivka. Just look at, you want a tragic, look at Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu's brother, Yaakov Avinu's brother, tried to kill him in the womb, it says. Okay? He tried to kill him in the womb. But they finally got, Esau wants to kill Yaakov. Yaakov is on the run. Now Yaakov works for one wife, gets tricked, and he has to work another seven years. Then he finally gets that wife, and what tragedy happens? She dies very, very young. She doesn't have six kids. She only has two. And then the second one, Benjamin, she dies. So he loses his beloved Rachel. She can't even be buried with him in the He has to leave her in Beislechem. So he loses his wife young. His daughter, Dina, gets raped by Shechem. You want tragedy? He loses his wife. His daughter gets raped by Shechem. His son, Yosef, gets sold to Mitzrayim. And this is Yaakov Avinu. Does he deserve tragedy? Was he such a bad guy? That he was, that someone was trying to kill him his whole life? He lost his wife, his daughter gets raped, his son gets sold down to a, to a, to a, to the lowest of the low in Mitzrayim? And when Yaakov Avinu tells Paro that I had a very rough life, Hashem punishes him for it. What do you mean? What did he say that isn't true? Yaakov Avinu had a very rough life from the day that he was born. How many people can handle losing a wife, having their daughter Chatzor Shalom raped, and losing their, their favorite child being gone for 22 years thinking that he's dead? How many human beings can handle that? So Yaakov Avinu complained for two seconds to Paro, it's a little hard. Hashem said, boom. You're going to be punished for saying that. Why? Because Yaakov Avinu had to be on the level to understand that if you went through those three things, there was a reason for each one of them. And I can tell you the reason for each one of them. Yaakovina was chased by Esau and hated by Esau because as long as we're hated by Esau, the Jewish nation will exist. Once we're loved by Esau, we will totally assimilate with Esau. We will disappear. So what keeps us alive is the hate. Because as long as they hate us, we're Jews. The minute they start to love us, and that's why when it says, Ochiv, Achiv Esav, Rashi says, the Achiv part is much more dangerous than the Esav. I know you hate me, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but you want to be my brother, then I'm in trouble. So Hashem created this hatred for a reason, so that we should be different. Rachel Imenu died young, in Beis Lechem, says Rashi in the Mephoshim, so that when Kaisro, now in the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, when we gave up and we thought that we were gone, and we were coming out of Israel, we went past Kevin Rachel, and Rachel davened for us, and we felt when we went past Kevin Rachel that we will not be destroyed. So her death on that on the derech of Beis Lechem was to give us to give us an unbelievable strength in the worst of times. Yosef Atzadik sold down to Mitzrayim, saved the world. The world would have starved. Dina, being attacked by Shechem, had a child named Osnas. Osnas, the little girl, ended up in Mitzrayim. 
marrying Yosef. The only Jewish girl that was in Mitzrayim that Yosef could have married was this little girl that came from that terrible thing that happened to her. And Osnas had two children, Ephraim and Menashe. And Mashiach ben Yosef comes from Ephraim. So that's why that, happened, that had to happen to Dina. So Kershbach said to Yaakov Avinu, you don't know all these answers at that point. Yaakov Avinu didn't know. But all those tragedies, every single one of them that happened, had a reason. And you, Yaakov Avinu, shouldn't complain. You should be the one to accept that. So I want to end with two thoughts. That's a little bit of a preview tomorrow. I want to end with two thoughts. One thought is like this. This is Rav Shimshim Pinkett's thought. It is absolutely mind-boggling. So I'm going to make a statement. Don't throw anything at me until I finish. Okay? So Mishnichnas of Mematim B'Simcha. When the month of Av comes in, you shouldn't be so happy, right? Why? Beit Hamish was destroyed. Many Jews got killed. Mishnichnas Adar Mabim B'Simcha. The month of Adar comes in, you should be very happy. What do we learn from this? It never said you shouldn't be happy at all. You should be happier, you should be less happy. What does that mean? That a Jew always has to be happy. One month you should be happier, one month you should be less happy, but you should never be not happy. So the question is, Av was such a bad month, right? So many, Luchos was destroyed. So many things happened in Av. Why does it say, Mishinichnas Av, ain't Simcha? In the month of Av, there's no Simcha. We can't drink wine, we can't eat meat, right? So just say, ain't Simcha. What's the Mamatim Simcha? That you should have less Simcha. What is there to be happy about? What is there to be happy about in the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? What should I be happy about? He says something mind-boggling. And he says that there's something very good about the Beis HaMikdash being destroyed. Now, if you stop the tape there, I'm done. I mean, my God, there'll be YouTube flash that Rabbi Wallstein said, it's good the Beis HaMikdash should be destroyed. Oh, he's very, he's an apikiris, who knows what. The best thing that happened to us was that the base Hamidus was destroyed. So Chazal said very simple. Hashem took his anger out on stones and wood instead of taking it out on us. Had he taken his anger out on us, we would have been all gone. So what's good about it? The father broke the glass instead of breaking your head. Right? So if he took a glass and he's angry at you and he throws it on the floor and breaks it, right? And, and, you're, and you're like, the kid's like, well, Hashem, he's clapping. And someone walks in the room and says, what are you clapping? Your father just broke a glass. Well, he broke the glass and said he broke my head. So it's a good thing that he did. So Chazal say that the Beis HaMidosh being destroyed was a good thing because he took it out on, 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 on stones and, and sticks and stones instead of wiping us out. Something much deeper. Beautiful. He says the following. There was a, a castle, a king with a castle. He had a beautiful daughter. We loved very, very much, like my story with the diet, Dr. Pepper with me. Whoever knows it knows it with my daughter. Right? Whoever doesn't know it, it's a pretty crazy story. But anyway, you don't know my Dr. Pepper story? Okay, so I'll tell it to you very fast. My daughter was dating, and I wasn't happy that she was dating because she was my oldest, and I never let my daughter, my, my girl, right? So it's very hard for a father to let his daughter go, especially that first one. Um, we don't understand. Why Why would you want to get married? You got me. Like, we don't understand. Fathers are like, you know, you know, I've always been there for you. Like, hello, Dad. You're like 40 years old, and I can't marry you, and this guy's... 21, he's got dimples, hello, you know? Okay, so, when God gave out dimples, I thought he said pimples. I said, I don't want any, what can you do? Anyway, so, so my, my struggle was, so, so this guy showed up, I'm going to tell you very fast, my, and he ended up being my son-in-law, the first date my, my girl, my daughter went out, so this guy comes in already, I didn't like him, 
because he was very cute and good looking. So I really didn't like him before I even said two words to him. I was hoping this ugly guy would walk in with like one eye. She would never go out with him again, right? This guy walks in and he's a really cute guy and I'm like, I'm not happy. So I don't like him already, right? So she goes out with him and she, and, um, she, you know, the first date, they don't spend a lot of money, the guys. So they go out to this lounge and you drink a Diet Pe- Dr. Pepper, a Diet Soda and they talk for four hours over that Diet Soda. Anyway, so she sits down and he says, order whatever you want. She says, I'd like to get a Diet Dr. Pepper. Of course, there's no lounge in the world that sells Diet Dr. Pepper. So the, the waitress says, no, the only thing we have Diet is Diet Sprite, Diet Coke. Okay. So my daughter's, okay, Diet Coke, fine. First date, she comes back after three hours. You know, it has to be exactly three hours. He drops her off. I say, how'd it go? She goes, he's cute. But I don't really, you know, we didn't, you know, I don't know. We'll see. First date. I'm like, okay. Hope it doesn't work out. All right. Anyway, right? So she comes back on the second date. I'll never forget. I'm sitting in the kitchen. And she comes in and she goes, Tati, he's really a great guy. I'm like, why? She goes, I get into a car. And in the cup holder between us is a bottle, a can of Diet Dr. Pepper. He anticipated, he remembered, we went, we went out three days ago, he remembered what I liked. Isn't he amazing? I'm like, I'm like, Malky. He went back to the dorm in Lakewood, and they said like, so how'd it go? And he's like, I don't know, she ordered that. She ordered that, this is what you gotta do. You know, go to the store, buy the can. Uh, what, the, what do you think? You think it was his idea? His roommates coached him. Right? I was very upset. Anyway, so a jealous father is a jealous father. And um, that was Thursday night. She went out Thursday night. So Friday night, we're all sitting at the table. And I go to the refrigerator. And I put on the table. You can ask my wife. A liter. A liter bottle of Diet Dr. Pepper. And I'm like, Malky, you think you need him? He bought you a little can. Look what Tati got you. Right? So they always make fun about it. And I really did that. It's not a joke. I really did that. I was very, very jealous. Anyway, Buckstrom, she married him. So... um so, so there's a certain relationship between fathers and daughters. That's why I always say girls are closer to Hashem. He's called the Vila Malkeno. If he's a Vila Malkeno, I can tell you as a father of girls that he likes you better than us. For sure. Okay? But anyway, so, so this, this king has this one daughter and he really loves her very much, but she gets married and she moves far away. She marries a prince and she lives far away with, with this prince. And he comes to see her, she comes to see him once a year. It's not what, not the relationship that they used to have. One day, the palace of the king, which was gorgeous, burns down to the ground. There is nothing left. It's ashes. And everyone is so upset in the kingdom. King's palace? To the ground. All the paintings and the tapestries and everything, gone. There's only one person in the kingdom that's happy. And that's the princess. Because now she knows... If her father doesn't have a palace, he's got to move in with her until the palace is rebuilt. And she loved her father very much. And the father is in so much pain. He lost his palace. But the only good part of it is, okay, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to move in with my daughter. Says Rav Shimshim Pinkus. Listen to this. Besamigus was destroyed. The king lost his palace. He has nowhere to live. So what does he do? He comes to his children. Doesn't say make me a base of and I will dwell in it. No. After the destruction, he says, I will dwell in, dwell in you. So now, not when the base of if you wanted to see Hashem, you had to go to Yushalayim. You ladies had to go to the Ezra's Nashim to see the Kohen doing the Avodah. 
That's when he was in his palace. The palace is destroyed. Now, instead of us going to him, he came to us. And he's in every single one of us. Because he doesn't have a place to live anymore. And he's in every single one of our houses. And it brings down in the Zoya that a woman, this is his Lushin, that a woman, when she lights the candles for Shabbos, is like the Kohen Gadol lighting the menorah in the Mizbeach. And that the Shulchan, your table that is set, your table is like a Mizbeach. And it's like the Shulchan in the Beis Hamidosh. That's why you're not allowed to sit on a table. Why don't you sit on a table? Because it's like the Shulchan in the Beis Hamidosh. And then the scary part, the Zoya says... What about the Kaidish Kedashim, where the Kohen, where the Kruvim were, and the Arna Kodesh, and the Kohen can only go on Yom Kippur? What part of your house is the Kodesh Kedashim? You would think you're then where you Sforim are, right? Where you learn. Your bedroom, Zayas says. The Kaidish Kedashim is a person's bedroom, and the Kruvim that are on the Arna Kodesh is the man and his wife. That's a Zaya. So on one hand, that is unbelievable. But on the other hand, how scary it is. Because on Tishabov, we shouldn't have one this year. We're going to read the Kinnis. And in the Kinnis, we read two very terrible things that happened in the Beis HaMikdash. That they took a Chazer and they shechted it on the Mizbeach. And that Titus Harasha took a Zaina. He took a Zaina. And he did his thing in the Kaidash Kedoshim. And the whole Beis Hamikdash and Yerushalayim shook from its core. So Rav Shimshin, if your bedroom is the Kaidash Kedoshim, and in that bedroom you have a television, and you have internet, and you have DVDs, and you have things that you're not supposed to, Aren't you Titus Harasha? Did you not bring into the Kaidish Kedoshim a Zaina? Did you not check the Chazir? If this is what's in your house, are you not as bad as what he did? So on one side, it's amazing when the king comes to his daughter and she opens her house and she's like, I'm not happy your house burnt down, but the good part of it is we're together now till we build it up. Until Hashem builds Bayashlishi, until he builds his palace that was burnt down. He's in my house. He's in my soul. Fantastic. Even though he's sad that he doesn't have a house, but he's happy that he has us. But what a tragedy. If he comes to his daughter's palace and she turns him away and says, You can't live with me, you can't be here. Imagine the pain of the king when his house burns down. And all he has left is his daughter's palace. And he comes to that palace and it's full of schmutz. And it's full of znus. And it's full of non-Jewish music. And non-Jewish uh, pictures. And all this stuff. And it, the base Hamidash had Jewish music. It had the Levium singing and playing music. It was Kedusha. Are the Levium in your room? Are the Levium in your ears? Is that the base Hamidash? Is that the music in your house? Is HaKadosh Baruch Hu welcome in your house? Or is this the most tragic thing that he lost his house and he has nowhere to go? Wow! of You can't have a lot of simcha but there is something to be happy about. That God may not have his house but he has us. But if he doesn't even have us 
then there's nothing to be happy about. So I just want to end two seconds just to tell you that the most tragic thing that ever happened to me was when I lost my father. And I was very, very close to him. He was my father, he was my Rebbe, he was my best friend, he was everything. And he died in my hands. His last breath, he, I, he was in my hands. Mm-hmm. And I remember that when I went, when, I, when, when we found out that he had cancer and the doctor said he had three months, and I went there to Israel and I prayed and I went to Olamukubalim and I stood in front of the Kosel and I knew how to daven and I said to Hashem, I will take the 22 years that I've taught children and be makar of them and I'm trading it in. I want a year. The doctor said, three months, I want my father to live for a year. Why did I ask for a year? Why didn't I ask? I want it to be healed. Because when it comes to tefillah, you don't ask for the whole thing. You ask for a little. And I knew that if he got a year, then the gzeirah that was written in Shaman, that he would die in three months, once that gzeirah is broken and he's given a year, then the whole thing's not working anymore. And I'll get his life back. So I was very smart on how to daven. He didn't ask for his life back. I daven. You have to know how to daven. Ben Yisrael teach you. You have to know how to daven. So I daven. Give me a year. We're fully eight hard, the Xero, they're gonna have a big court case up there. Okay, give him a year. Once again, the year he passed that Xero, the day he was supposed to die, you'd Zion Shvat. It's not gonna happen. Once that's broken, the whole thing is much easier to. So I had everything figured out, stayed up a whole night by the coast cell. I did everything I was supposed to do. And you know, you think you can cash in your chips, but you don't, that's not the way it works in this world. And my father died three months later. He didn't live no year, he didn't live no six months. He lived maybe three months, maybe three and a half months more. So at that point, when he died, I called up Yeshiva, where I was teaching, and I said, I'm done. Find another Rebbe. I was angry at God. I said, 22 years? I want to make a little trade? Ah, you didn't give me one month? Two months? Something? I'm done. I was sitting on my steps, I remember, in front of my house. I'm going back to my business. I am not doing this anymore. If Hashem's not rewarding me, I couldn't even get, couldn't save my father. I'm done. No problem. See you next week. It's fine. So, there was a boy, one of my students, and he came to visit me. I was very broken, very broken. It was in the shleshim of my father. I was very broken. And he said, Rebbe, what's going on? I'm much older. He was out of my class for a long time. He said, what's going on? I hear you're not going back to yeshiva. I'm like, I told him, I said, what for? I thought, you know, you know, you thought you have kids. I wasn't thinking like Yaakov could tight you. If I do good, you God, you got to do good. Like you know, I'm cashing in my my credit card. You can't. So I would. He said to me, I don't understand. Said, but, but you were very close to your father. I'm like, yeah. So what would your father want you to do? He want you to quit. Now he's in Shemayim, and he's looking down, and he's like, Oh my gosh, my son gave up teaching, which my father very much wanted me to do because I died. So he's sort of punishing me. He said, like, Rebbe, I don't understand. What's your cheshman over here? What would your father want you to do? Wouldn't he want you to do more? Wouldn't he want you to teach more, not less? And I'm listening to this from a kid. And I'm like, you know what? You're not so wrong. And that day on those steps where I quit teaching, I decided to open up Bornava. On that, on those steps on that day. And I said, you know, you're right. I'm only teaching boys. Let's do more. I, I decided to open up Bornava. So from the tragedy, Right? I had to get a little musr. And I realized, like Yaakov Avinu, what are you complaining for? Hashem knows what he's doing. So, he, you may need those 22 years for something totally different. You have to accept, and just the opposite, you have to take from that tragedy, and you have to grow. So, Baruch Hashem, Ornava, and you're all here in the Shurim, and everything's great. But I, 
I just want to tell you how a person can't even understand when you make the, you have you have a decision in life. Like I always say, step in and step out. I could have stepped out, and you all wouldn't be here, and I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be probably Florida, Israel, somewhere, who knows where, right? But Baruch Hashem, I stepped in. So our Nava, our Teres Nava, high school, we have all the stuff that's going on, but. I'm now coming out with my first Sefer, which is crazy exciting, right? On Akar Satov. By the way, just to show you how Hashem runs the world, so there are 354 days in this book. 354 days in, in a Jewish year, right? So we went to an organization to find out how long does it take to sell, right? To sell 300 dedications for 354 days. And this is an organization that does this all the time. They said it takes a year and a half. Till you get the dedications, till you get the names, till you print it, till you do that. We said, we only have six weeks. From when I decided I want to print the book, to when it has to be given into Archgrove, six weeks. She said, forget the dedications. And I said, no, but you don't understand. When I opened the novel, they told me it's going to fail. When I opened my high school, they told me it's going to fail. Every time someone tells me it's going to fail, that's when I do it. So, we are now selling dedications per day, right? For the 354 days, for three weeks. So far, we're in it for three weeks. Today, we sold our 300th dedication. We only have 54 left. This was supposed to take a year and a half. Three weeks. Hashem runs the world. If you decide to do something, you have to understand that you just have to do what you can, and God does the rest. But this is what I want to tell you. So there, there are these big dedications. There's little dedications for a page. Then there's a dedication to dedicate... The whole Akaros HaTov initiative, the whole, which this book is off the charts. He, Yona Weinrib did a job on the Sefer Zechronos, the book where you write, you write every day your Akaros HaTov, the diary. It is off the charts. You will see this. You never saw something so beautiful. Unbelievable. And, and Mitzvah Shem. So, so somebody said, I would like to maybe dedicate it's a lot of money. The whole initiative. But you gotta tell me like, what am I getting for it? I said, okay. Listen to this. Just you should understand, sitting on the steps, what a mistake Rabbi Wallenstein could have made. So this is, we, we're coming out now with the, with the book, A Lesson a Day. Archgold saying we should be able to sell the first year 40,000 books. Not a crazy number. There's a lot of Jews in the world. 40,000 books. Let's say we sell 40,000 books. Okay. Now, how many days of learning is in this book? 354. So we sell 40,000 books with 354 days of learning. How many days of learning does that give me in the first year? Anyone here know? 14,160,000 days of learning in one year. 14 million days of learning from one book Right? 40,000 books in one year. Now, we're figuring it's going to take you, because it's two sides of a page, two, two sides, it's going to take you to read it, understand it, 15 minutes. Each day, you're going to spend 15 minutes learning that lesson. So, if you take 14,160,000 days of learning times 15 minutes, you ready? Gives you two billion, a hundred million minutes of learning. One year. Two billion. Now, you get a mitzvah every second. I'm not going to even tell you times that by 60. Forget that. 
Wait a minute, go there. Two billion minutes of learning from one cipher. And I was going to step off those steps and walk away from, from, from teaching, writing, or anything of that sort. And I would have come to Shemayim, and God would have said, two billion minutes a year, forever. The book stays here forever. Times that by a hundred years, forget it. It's not normal. So we don't realize that what could come from tragedy, from me losing my father, two billion minutes of learning every single year from now on. Outside of everything else. Now there's a Sefer Zichronos, which I'm even more excited about because a Sefer is something that you're going to learn. But a Sefer Zichronos is something you're going to write. So every girl who buys one will be able to write every single day in her book what someone did for them. And at the end of the year, they will take this Sefer Zichronos and Rosh Hashanah and they will tell Hashem, you also have a Sefer Zichronos that you're opening my Sefer Zichronos in Shemayim on Rosh Hashanah. Well, I only have in my Sefer Zichronos good things that people did for me. Me, the Kinegi, that you can only look at the things in my Sefer Zichronos that I did good for other people. Crazy Koyach. I am more excited about that book. I'm very excited about that book because it's, it becomes every person's Sefer. Everyone in this room is going to have a different Sefer. And it's going to teach you if you write, thank you in a book, it's going to change your whole life. Because if you write it, we know when you write something, it becomes part of you. So when you're going to write these things, and forget about the app. I'm not allowed to push the app because I'm against the iPhone, but the app is totally out of control. Because if you can't write, most people can't write today because they only know how to text, right? So if you write in your app, exactly like what you write in your book, it gives you the koyach because let's say you're writing to, to mommy, right? Let's say you're writing in your app that night, I want to thank my mother for whatever she did. So when you write the word mother or mommy, if that's how it's in your contacts, then all you need to push a button, and what you just wrote about your mother will go to her. So here she is, 10 o'clock at night, laying in her bed, and all of a sudden her phone goes, and she looks at it, and it's like, Mommy, thank you for buying me that dress today. <sighs> you can't, you can't, you, you, you can't measure that. Nobody can measure that. That's one. Husband, wife, child, teacher. Unbelievable. Imagine a teacher at night, right, or wakes up in the morning, and there's a, there's a text over there that's coming from a girl's book, Thank you yesterday for, for, for helping me with my test. I'm, I'm a different teacher. It, it's such a game changer. So this book, we, don't, we only expect to sell low, low, 20,000 copies of this book where everyone's going to write their own Sefer Zichronos. There are 480 days in each one of all these books because we did a 16-month, not a 12-month. That way you can buy the book four months after Tishrei and still have a year. That's why we did that. So there, there are 480 books, 480 days in this book, okay? If you take 20,000 times 480, that gives you 9,600,000 days of gratitude per year. 9 million pages on this world of people writing thank you. If you told me right now to go out and get 9 million thank yous this year, there's no way I could do it. But through this book, nine million pages of gratitude. And all this, all of this came because my father died in my arms. Had he not died, I would have never opened door now. I was very happy being a Rebbe half a day. I wasn't looking to do more. But because he died, I felt I had to do something for him. Extra. That's what a Jew gets from tragedy. What a Jew gets from tragedy is what the, what we, when we come out of the tragedy, we can't control. 
But what we do with the tragedy, the growth, and the, that's, that's what a Jew does. And therefore, the tra- most tragic thing in the world was the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So what do you do with that tragedy? What you do with that tragedy is you build the most beautiful palace for God to live in until his palace is rebuilt. And that palace is you. And therefore you have to clean up your beautiful palace to make sure that that's a place that he wants to live. And if that's a place he wants to live with you in your house, in your soul, in your body, then the tragedy is much more lessened. And then Mitz Hashem, we should be zeicher that this of he should talk and build his palace and bring us all back to his palace. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.